Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Alrighty, welcome back again. Episode four, we've made it. Four episodes, well, three at this point, but we're going to do four today. And uh, we are excited once again. We've got a handful of things to cover today. Consumer confidence and the stock market. Uh, I had a sneaking suspicion that there was a uh, correlation or an inverse inverse correlation to that. And how's got some data on that for us. Retesting the market lows. Uh, the market's recovered a lot since the June 16th low. And so what are the odds that we actually go back down and retest that low? We're going to talk about that. We've got some interesting housing data, uh, albeit confusing. So uh, at least we've got some interesting data to cover there. And um, we'll see where it goes from there. All right. So how, how's it going? Yeah, go ahead. How's it going today? Yeah, it's been, been feels like Ben has been a while since we talked. So it's always great to see you. Yeah, absolutely. You as well. You as well. Well, I know last time you were in a really good mood because the market was going the right direction. Um, so how, how's your mood today? it's it's up and down uh, <laughs> so yeah i did i did come stay like stick out on my neck out on a limb and say that the market bottom was what june 16th and we're we're getting some choppiness uh this is recording on august 25th so this is the day before jerome powell makes his big speech tomorrow so uh, what we're looking for is He's going to come out and and really be, I guess, hawkish, if if that makes sense, that term. Um, be really aggressive in, we're going to fight inflation. We're going to slay inflation. We're not going to make the mistake of the 1970s where as soon as the economy showed a little bit of weakness, we took our foot off the brakes. And the mistake of the 1970s was they the Fed was not aggressive enough to finally slay inflation earlier in the decade, right? And we're, we're seeing ripples of, of that kind of uh, strategy coming up again. And really the biggest battle is inflation. How do we finally slay it? Do we need a recession to do it? Is, is soft landing possible? And ahead of that, you know, ahead of that, <clears throat> trying to find the right words ahead of that speech tomorrow. Um, how aggressive is Powell going to be? And I think that's really going to shake or confirm the markets. It's interesting because I think if we had chatted maybe even a month ago, it was like, there's no way we're soft landing this thing. Like we're going into recession. You know, I shared that story of being in the, 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 um, you know, the bus or the, the, the shuttle coming back from the hotel. And this young kid was like, ah, we're about to go into a recession, you know, and 70% of consumers thought that. And we, I guess we hit it from a technical standpoint, but you know, we, we aren't officially there maybe by some definitions, but what's interesting is, uh, it might actually be appearing that we can soft land this economy. Yeah. We're Time seeing, 
Yeah, we're seeing the things that we've mentioned from episode one where we think it's a supply issue, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Inflation can naturally go away as long as we can keep up our improving supply chain. And anything that rocks it, like war in Ukraine can, anything that rocks it that we don't expect can definitely happen. But that's what we've been seeing since, really since May. So has there been any good news since June 16th? Uh, no, no, I read CNN. So there's been zero good news. And in real life, uh, the mark, the only good news is the market's gone up. Right. And it's, even though it's been a choppy week, we're still recovered quite a bit of the, the lows, right? We, we peaked yeah. at negative or bottomed at negative 24%. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at negative 13% year to date for the S&P. And that's, yeah, that's actually really, really great news. Uh, if you didn't read any headlines, yeah, you would have thought things are going really pretty okay. But no headline has suggested, go ahead and start investing now. And that's what I'm saying is you don't yeah. need CNN or Fox or MSNBC to say things are rosy, go ahead and invest. Now's the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's common, Warren right? Buffett I mean, it's what buy when there's blood in the streets, there's been blood in the streets for six months. Like let's, let's buy. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's so interesting, right? We all want to do the opposite of what the media is saying. And I think the media, you know, gas prices have been going down, which is great. Well, no one's talking about it. Uh, you know, gas price increases got 20 mentions and I believe the New York times gas price decreases got one mention in the New York times. So it's, you know, we're, we're setting this up against ourselves, uh, for negative new cells. Um, so when the market does actually do good things, you know, no one really knows about it. Yeah. Well, gas prices going down, I'm seeing a lot less gas pictures on my social media feed. So I don't know if it's like a media thing or just just generally people focusing on the negatives when, prices were high, I could generate a lot of likes, right? Here in California, $7 a gallon gas just posted <laughs> on my feed. All of a sudden I get people's attention. Uh, it's still $5 here, significantly improved, but still very high. That's not going to generate as much attention, right? As it did in June. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about consumer confidence in the stock market because this is related to this. You know, it seems like the market's bottom June sixteenth. It's kind of gone up since there. Um, it's gone up about fifty. You know, it's re- retraced by fifty percent. So we have some interesting data on that. But um, after our last call, I had asked you, "Hey, consumer confidence. I'm seeing all this stuff in the media that it's never been worse. You know, more people think it's the worst time to buy a house than ever before, and more people have negative sentiment on the economy." But what do then forward market returns tend to look like? And you've got an interesting chart here from JP Morgan. Yeah, our our partners at JP Morgan, they they put out a consumer sentiment line chart essentially is instead of tracking the stock market, they track they track what consumers feel about their finances, their job security, their their just general outlook as it relates to money, right? Um, sentiment. And I think that's just so, a, a phone call, right? It's a random poll. I think it's a it's a it's done by the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been doing it since sixties uh, or seventies. So so it is 
polling, but if you get enough people um, to answer your polling question, you can you can definitely build some data off that. Yeah, I've heard that it's just as basic as they call random people and they say, how do you feel about the economy, good or bad? And then, you know, how do you feel <laughs> about this other thing, good or bad? And, and that's how they gauge their their survey, which is surprisingly accurate. Just get how the people are feeling in general and post it. Yeah, and people are feeling pretty crummy. And we've talked to really briefly about this, where uh, June hit the bottom bottom in the history of this measurement, right? We hit a flat 50, five zero. And this is mm. on a scale of, believe it or not, not 100, but 120. Mm. So 50 out of 120 is like more than failing. And things were pretty bad. And 50 for contacts is lower than the Great Recession, right? We bottomed um, around 55 in the Great Recession from its worst. Uh, 1980, we had a 52. So we beat 1980. 1980 for contacts, we were coming off high inflation from the 70s. Uh, You're telling me that people feel worse today than they did in 2008? Wild, right? Why is that? I think, How is that? I think a lot of it has to do with inflation stings more than losing your home, which mm. is really odd. Uh, 2008, 2009 were pretty scary times because not only did people lose their homes, but there were high jobless rates. And these were good paying jobs that mm -hmm. were lost. And to feel worse about it now... This situation versus 2009 doesn't really square with me. And again, I'm gainfully employed, so I'm going to have bias there. But just looking at the data, there's there's probably non-economic reasons for this. It's actually, I'm looking at this chart a little bit closer now. May of 1980, sentiment bottomed around 50, a little bit above 50. Uh, still worse yes. today, worse than ever before, August of 2022. Uh, it's a little bit higher now, but a couple of months ago it was worse. So you're, you're, you're right. Last time, you know, everybody's experiencing really high inflation. You get the call. Hey, I don't feel good. This doesn't feel good to me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Everything's more expensive. And I take it personally because it feels like someone is taking money out of my wallet. I was but... just talking about, uh, you know, we we're talking earlier, going to the grocery store, grocery experience, 13.1% inflation last month in July, the month before it was like 1% and change. I'm totally seeing that. I don't know if anybody else out there is feeling that. It seems like everything I buy at the store is a dollar more now. Right. And, it, and you're, getting, you're probably getting less of it too. So there's so. a shrink shrinking yeah. factor. So you're getting less metric weight from it. Yeah. And you're actually paying significantly more for a lot less. Okay. So let's come back here to sentiment. So then what, so when consumer sentiment bottoms, what generally does the market do after? Like, is it a good, is it a signal to invest? Yeah, you started with the, at the top with the inverse relationship. What we mean by that is when things are feeling bad, when consumers are feeling bad about their outlook, that's probably the best time to invest. So the JP Morgan measured the last eight sentiment troughs, meaning when sentiment bottomed, what did the next 12 months look like in terms of return? On average, that was 25% up for the next 12 months. Mm. That's a really That's healthy really return. Good. And now let's flip it though, when things are feeling really good, right? When sentiments peaked um, in 2000, January 2000, a sentiment peaked at 112. 
what happened the next few months in January 2000, right? Uh, February 2020, sentiment peaked. He, J- January 2007, sentiment peaked. Hmm. Like, <laughs> we're, we're probably the worst predictors of the outlook in life because we tend to, like retailers, right? We overorder when things are looking good. Only get to get slapped in the face with reality. So when sentiment peaks, the average return is significantly lower at 4.1% over the next 12 months. It, it is worth noting. Because, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, it's because, yeah, we were a little too optimistic, right? And the opposite's happening is we're a little too pessimistic about our outlook. Yeah. It, it is worth noting that it is changing. positive. Like uh, what I was hoping you would tell us here today is, oh, when sentiment peaks, and, and I don't know how to gauge a, a peak, but you could just look at historical data and say, ah, it's near prior highs. Maybe I should sell or maybe I should kind of risk off. And when it's a, a low, you know, maybe below 60 or below 65 by this, you know, chart, uh, maybe then it's a buying signal. It's not really that clear. In fact, there was just one time here in March of 84 where sentiment peaked, but actually the forward 12 month return was plus 13 and a half percent. That's good. You would have missed that. So I guess nothing is perfect, but, uh, you know, when confidence is low, generally the next 12 months of returns are quite a bit higher than when confidence is high, but in all instances on average, it's positive. Well, let's zoom out when from confidence and look at the markets, right? So during, we can overlay the confidence chart and it could probably mirror the, the S&P or the, the stock market. So people feel bad when the stock markets are going down. People feel good when the markets are going up. Mm-hmm. But when you're feeling bad, that's buy low right there. And when I started the show, I was saying that, but it's not as easy to do in real life than to say, right? Oh, I'm in 2007. I'm just going to buy low and sell high all the time. Yeah. And it's hard to gauge where the low is, right? Like, okay, such an obvious yep. signal. Never been lower. Okay, well, might as well buy some. But what if it just keeps going down? And I think that's the, 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 the challenge that all bears have, right? It's like, well, it'll keep getting worse. It'll keep getting worse. It'll keep getting worse. And as we said earlier, there's been, I, to my knowledge, no good news. If anybody's seen any good news since... Uh, June 16th, please send it over. I don't think there's been any gas prices. That's the best news. It's not <laughs> even in the prices. news. Yeah. Gas prices. Yeah. <laughs> good point. There's a lot of good things happening. They're just not the news. How about that? <laughs> so, uh, the other point here that's, that's related. And, uh, I saw this post here recently. This is from, um, Ryan Dietrich and, uh, it covers when we hit bear market. So a technical definition of a bear market is a 20% uh, fall from a prior high. So when we hit a, a bear market or a 20% pullback from a prior high, once we've gone back up 50% of that, so go down 20, we go back up 10 of that roughly. Has the market ever retested the prior low of being down 20? And that answer is no. So let me back up and say that again, cause it's a little wonky. So market goes down 20% or more, which is the technical definition of a bear market. Once it recovers half of its losses from whatever fall it was, it has actually never gone back down to go lower than that original low. And further over, over the next year though. Correct. Yep. Yep. And further over the next one, three, six, 12 months, markets are generally really positive. You might be sensing a theme here. 
six month forward returns on average. This is dating all the way back to 1956, believe it or not, uh, just shy of 11%, 12 month returns just shy of 20%. So, um, you know, this is, this, this is just interesting and interesting connection to what are maybe buy signals or what are signals to not be as fearful of outright loss. Um, and, you know, as, as our listeners know, diversification is, is our key to getting from point A to point B. We can bring a lot of confidence with that because you own a small sliver of a little bit of everything. Um, but even further, knowing that things do recover eventually, it's promising. We'll get through this. Why do you think that is, though, that things recover eventually? I, I have an idea in my head, but I just wanted to know what you're... You, know, you asked me this last time, and and, and uh, I, I, I don't know if my answer was great, and I'm still stumbling over my words for the same answer. It's just things kind of get cheap. It, it seems like, you know, if, if I'm going to buy a thing, and that thing is getting more expensive, and then all of a sudden that thing drops significantly on a major sale, I might actually go and buy it. And I think it's kind of the same thing yeah. with stocks, right? Like, they keep getting more expensive. Oh, I can't buy it now. I can't buy it now. And then it drops. It's like, well... I don't know about this, but it's lower than it was. Therefore I buy, I think it's just kind of a, uh, things look to be on sale. And at some point investors do in fact buy. Yeah. And I think it, to build off that, I think it's appropriate to look at why things are on sale, right? There are just simply more sellers than buyers the right. first six months. And what those people or those investors did, right? They either held cash or bought something else. And that's a lot of cash to sit on the sidelines. Most most likely, it was just those sellers who sold. Uh, you know, more power to you if you sold to the bottom. But if you sold and sat on cash, you're probably looking for a reentry mm -hmm. point. Right, the money has to go somewhere. Especially if you're an institutional investor, you can't just sit on fifty percent cash and and expect to keep your job in this business. Right, you gotta you gotta deploy that cash. So if you're you're on the sidelines. You're getting off the sidelines, one, for performance reasons, for fear of missing out, for a variety of reasons. And a lot of mechanics behind it don't really rely on headlines. Yeah. It should be the other way around, right? The headlines are, are queuing off what the market movements are, and they're just CNN's just slapping a story to it. And people, traders, investors are going to trade on their own timeline, their own skill sets, their own needs yada, 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 there's millions of traders every single day. And that's going to have an impact on the day-to-day -day movements and the long-term movements, right? You're talking mostly institutional investors, like hedge funds and 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 that kind of thing? Or who, who you're saying 50% in cash, are you talking about retail? Like who, who, who specifically? Yeah, uh, Bloomberg did another survey of uh, professional investors, and this is the first time in, I think, 20 years where those investors had more bonds than stocks. And this was heading like into mutual fund managers. What, what's mutual professional huh, money managers? Wow. It was it was a Bank of America survey where reported by Bloomberg, where uh, these professionals were on the sidelines because their figures were showing negative outlooks. Interesting, right? So. So there's a, still a lot of money on the sidelines that should be redeployed. I'm not saying it's going to be now, um, but 
that's that's uninvested money that needs to get mm. invested. Which, based on what we talked about earlier, uh, it pays to it often pays to just be in an index fund, which is fully invested all the time. You ride the down, you ride the up. Versus if you're in, say, a, a hedge fund or something that's trying to be in cash part of the time or hedge over here, make a str- very very active call on the portfolio. Uh, clearly, as we've seen, you know, you just told me there's more cash than than there was you know, months ago, and the market seems to have bottomed and gone back up. Therefore, it was missed. Got to just index. Yeah, and, it, and to be clear, I'm not saying they're dumb or don't know what they're doing. Um, if we go back to 2020, and there was another survey done on about 230, 235 economists. Um, in August of 2020, will there be another double-dip recession? Mm. Right, That that was a point-blank question. And eighty percent of them said, "Yes, the stock market's going to roll over. We're going to have another 80%. recession." And these are, you know, the world's smartest economists, and they're not saying this on a hunch. They're not saying this from their gut, right? They're they're using data, what they're seeing, using historical reference points, and they were wrong, right? If you listen to that advice in August twenty twenty. Where was the the mm. buy point, right? Because I don't think we had any dips really all year until November, and even then you lost a big run up from April all the way through the end of the year. And similar to the fund managers that we're experiencing now, where they're relatively risk off or lowered their risk exposure, they're they're basing it on you know data. But the market has different different movements because not only are institutional players trading in and out, but it's retail, it's pension funds, it's endowments. Everyone is involved, and they're going to have their own reasons to get in and out of the, the market. And they don't really care if some mutual fund manager is risk off because his data points, you know, poor data, right? Um, but... We say buy low. If your data is saying things are looking bad, things are probably cheap because they're looking bad, and you should be buying low. I feel like I would be the most boring economist because I would just continue to forecast, like eh, it's going to go up a little bit, you know, rather than try to make such a call because <laughs> it, it's maybe that's the financial planner in me or just the believer in diversification or whatever it might be. Uh, zoom out, it kind of goes up, right? I. I Maybe if you forced me, maybe that's what it would be. If you forced me to say, you know, what's your prediction over the next three months or six months? You know, I would just plead the fifth. But, you know, if, if, if I had enough time, I would always say, you know, generally things go the right direction. Yeah, and they don't need a story to go right, in the right direction, right. right? The simple answer is there's more buyers than sellers. Right. And there's perpetually going to be more buyers than sellers, Right. And everyone who gets a paycheck, most likely, well, majority of people who get a paycheck get a four one k. They're constant buyers. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot over to housing. Consumer confidence in housing has never been lower. No correction, lowest level since twenty eleven. Uh, so <laughs> not never, but lowest level since twenty eleven. Both prospective buyers and sellers. Can I interrupt? If you bought a house in 2011, Chris, how happy would you be? <laughs> right? It could have been in the middle Great of nowhere point. too. Great point. 
right? Yeah, no kidding. Just 17% of those surveyed, this is from CNBC, by the way, just 17% of those surveyed in July said, now is a good time to buy a home, down from 20% in June. Okay, whatever, I mean, 20%, 70%, that's, that's the same. Um, even more telling, the share of sellers who think it's a good time to list their homes dropped to 67%. So people are going, I don't really want to sell right now, and I don't really want to buy right now. Interesting. We also see this. It's, it's a standoff. It's, it's yeah, a classic yeah, standoff. Good right? point, right? It's the, it's the, we need more inventory to actually bring prices into a normal range, but people don't want to sell. Not in my expense. But it's funny because right. I had heard that Google right? searches spiked for sell my home quickly or some iteration of that. You know, how do I sell my house this weekend? So people are thinking about doing. Oh, because they're trying yeah, to cash out, out the now. top, right? Like it's going down. Get me out. Was the was what trending search for Google maybe a week or two week or two ago? But there's probably good reason for that, right? Um, uh, we we look at all kinds of data, and Redfin is is pretty good actually for um, up to the minute data because they have all these home listings, and they're seeing um, the number of, I guess, lowered prices. And I don't know what the term is, but like, if you list a house, you, you drop your, your house price because no one, you're getting zero bytes, right? The biggest boom cities that experience the biggest price increases, they're now seeing the biggest markdowns or the, the volume of markdowns. Um, the data doesn't really show how deep the markdown is. Like, let's say you list your house for $500,000 and you mark it down to 590 or 490. That's not much of a markdown. But it's counted as a markdown nonetheless, right? Because the listing agent needs to say the, the original price mm -hmm. and then the new price, which is in a lot of cases lower. And looking at the, the data, it's like Boise. Uh, last year, 29% of all listed homes marked down. Again, we don't know the, the, the severity of markdown. But this year, July 2022, 70% of homes listed in Boise, Idaho, have been marked out. Wow. And I'm, I would venture to guess a bunch of them still aren't selling and probably aren't even getting a lot of visitors. And another, uh, you know, kind of a sad stat is 77% of people who bought homes in the last two years regretted yeah, buying that, that home. Um, yeah, a lot of people paid over listing price and they bought a home sight unseen. So now they're dealing with big structural issues, home improvement issues, uh, things they have to fix, right? And the, the the home, right, that they've been such a competitive buyer for is now suddenly mm -hmm. such a burden. And I think that's what's scary is such a large amount of relatively new home, new home buyers. Are maybe both well for inventory in future years. You know, if, if confidence can come back up, maybe people actually sell those homes. Uh, you know, as we talked about last time, we're just simply not building enough houses. We have more demand than supply, and there's a kind of this perpetual up, uptrend in prices because of that. Um, I think it's interesting, though. Uh, so this this particular post here that we're looking at, you know, Boise's top of the list, 70% of homes dropping price um, here in July or in July of 2022. Uh, they're labeling these as pandemic boom towns. So essentially towns that really, really grew when people weren't tied to a city anymore, they were just tied to a desk and an internet connection. And Boise is the first one, Denver, Colorado, 58% uh, of homes drop price. Salt Lake City, 
56. Tacoma, Washington, 55%. Tampa, Florida, 52%. Sacramento, uh, 52%. Indianapolis, 51. Phoenix, 50. San Diego, 49. Portland, 48. I keep going. Even Seattle, 47. Austin, 46. So uh, point is a lot of uh, price reductions. My question is though, are realtors just not pricing it right? Like, I think if you're going to list a house and let's say that that house two months ago was worth a million and you're a realtor walking in and you're like, it's not worth a million anymore. Uh, but it's pretty hard to get the seller to convince themselves that it's not. That's where I was going to go is we probably have actually a bunch of realtors banging their heads against the wall because their sellers aren't. Yeah. And I think that if you know, it's not normal to sell in a single weekend, right. Or in a day, like that's not normal. It's normal to actually be on market for a couple of weeks. And you know, we're all just used to this list and sell. I mean, your house is almost as liquid, liquid as your stock. And so possibly it's just a cause for education or a a courageous conversation among realtors and their clients. that says like, Hey, we need to price it here. Otherwise we're likely going to have a price reduction. And I think that's a tough pill to swallow for, for the sellers. Yeah. And I think a lot of them anchored towards their most recent price before all this downturn, when rates gone up, right. Affordability is an issue. And if you're not willing to back off the the price, yeah, hold on to it if you can. But again, that might be a conversation for another episode, but, um, Sellers are unwilling to put their house on the market because they don't want to take so much of a, in their head. I feel like Redfin kind of, and Zillow, because they have like the, you know, this estimate and and, and the the estimate of your home value, they kind of, you do it yourself, right? Because you can see what, whatever these algorithms think your house is worth. So therefore that's what it's worth. But those algorithms use, uh, I guess no one knows exactly what they use, but uh, assuming they use closing sale data to come up with what they think your house is worth. Um, you know, that's a lag, right? That's at least a 30 day lag. Cause when you buy, it takes 30 days to actually close. And so that's probably where a lot of these overpriced homes are coming from is people are looking at their Redfin estimate saying it's worth a million bucks. Realtors like it's worth eight fifty, yeah, and then the they settle right? at nine twenty five or something. And yeah. it still has to go down. Um, cause it's sitting on market. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you want to sell your house more than your neighbor did. So <laughs> I right. think it's a keep over the Jones. Lastly here, what are you seeing about rents? Uh, you got this slide here that rents are still climbing. Hmm. Yeah. Rents are still climbing year over year, uh, month over month. Oh, good. Uh, we're seeing a bit of a dip, but rents are amazingly high still. It's because of the affordability issue. When, when mortgage rates are pushing five and a half percent, your, your house Mm-hmm. affordability has to come down, right? If you're in the range of $500,000 home previously at 2% mortgage rates, that's not realistic to pay that amount at five and a half percent, right? And, and affordability has gone way down. So people need to live somewhere and that's driving up rents, which is contributing to inflation. And it might have <laughs> a reverse effect of what the Fed was intending with trying to get mortgage rates higher. I think it's just shifting one problem area to another problem area. Well, it'll be interesting to continue to watch housing. There's more bad news there, which uh, based on, I guess, our whole conversation today might be 
an interesting time to buy in the face of bad news, but it's also hard when mortgage rates are, you know, in the fives. So interesting headwinds. It's different. It's different when you're buying such a huge leveraged asset relative to, yeah, I'm going to invest the, the, you know, the 401k money or the thousand bucks that I had sitting on the sidelines or whatever it might be. It's just a totally different thing. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So thanks so much, everybody, for joining. Thanks, Hal. This was fun as always. 